This is the Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher, the forum for leaders, champions, and dreamers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Champion Forum Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hancher, and today we're going to be talking about the pursuit of success. You know, right now in America, there are many people that are closely watching college basketball and they're locked into what we what has come known to be March Madness. In the studio today, I have a guest that played Division I college basketball at the University of North Carolina. She was instrumental in helping the team to an Elite Eight appearance and two Final Four appearances. She is a true definition of what it means to pursue success at the highest levels. Jessica Sell, welcome to the Champion Forum podcast. It is a great privilege to have you on the show and unpack your journey of success. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I mean that wholeheartedly. I'm really looking forward to our chat today and to uh, go heels. (laughs) Go heels. (laughs) So Jessica, you start in your humble beginnings in the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. being one of two girls to play in a co-ed basketball league. Correct. You grow into a 5'11 guard at North Marion High School in a small town in West Virginia. While at North Marion High School, you averaged 30.2 points per wow, game. Wow, you went back into the archives. How about that, huh? <laughs> you end your high school career by being named the West Virginia Player of the Year, the Gatorade State Player of the Year, And you still, to this day, hold the scoring and rebounding records for both male and female basketball to this day. Not to mention that you finished with a 4.0 GPA while getting all these stats done on the hardwood. (laughs) And so that in and of itself is amazing. But wait, there's more. (laughs) After graduating high school, you make the decision to take your talents to Chapel Hill and play on the same court as the GOAT, Michael Jordan, and many other legends that came <laughs> through UNC. He absolutely is. You play under Coach Hatchell, uh-huh. uh, who goes on record of saying this, Jessica Sell is a fighter and a winner. That's amazing. So it's at UNC that you went on to be part of an Elite Eight team, and you were a part of the organization in two Final Four appearances. So it's clearly obvious uh, that you continue to win and have great success beyond the hardwood even today. So there's a formula there. There's a recipe there of winning, of success. And I'm going to tell you something. Getting to know you, seeing what you've accomplished is a tremendous resume. What you've already accomplished is what the majority of us young kids growing up only dream about. Uh, you know, a lot of us, it's like, hey, I hope I, you know, play basketball in high school. You went way beyond all of those. And I got to believe after meeting you and getting to know you a little better, your best days are still ahead of you. I so that. absolutely, you. <laughs> it is coming. There is no question about it. Uh, the formula is absolutely there. So I'm looking forward to unpacking uh, this journey and sharing with our listeners some of the things that you've done and have had to develop along the way to obtain this type of success. Uh, This is beyond average. This is beyond normal. This is extraordinary things that you have been able to, to do and to accomplish in your own life. But so before we dive into some questions, 
Can you give us an idea of what it was like to play at Chapel Hill where Jordan played? What was that like? It was surreal. Um, I remember when I was going into my senior year of high school, my dad, I, I have to start off by obviously thanking the Lord for everything. And he's the reason for anything good in my life. Absolutely. And I have to honor my parents because without the the support of my mother and my father literally putting their lives on hold to help me achieve my dreams, uh, I wouldn't be here today. So I, I want to honor them because my dad had to manage 62 Division One full scholarships that I was offered hmm. before I chose Chapel Hill. And, and what an amazing job he did and what a stressful job that was for him. To this day, I don't think I realize the hours that he put in before social media was a thing, before even the internet was a huge thing. Email was kind of just getting into the swing of things. And he kept all of these hard copies and, and paper files for me. And I remember thinking about where I wanted to go to school. And Michael Jordan playing at UNC was a big deal for me. To be able to play in Carmichael Auditorium where he played, my number growing up was 23. That was Jordan's of number. Course. I mimicked my entire game after Michael Jordan. Tongue out even, right? Tongue out, Come on. fist pump, you know, <laughs> he and Steve Kerr, Utah Jazz, you know, let's let's go back to that foul line jumper oh, yeah. fade away. Oh, yeah. I had it all. I looked just like him every time I did it. But that, that was um, really a dream come true uh, for me to be able to accept a scholarship there and to play there. Even on the worst days down there, I would still be walking to class, and when the bell would go off, the the bell on campus, um, I would just thank the Lord that I was there. And being able to play there, people say playing at Carolina is an honor, but winning at Carolina is a tradition, and mm. that rang in my in my ears every day. Wow, talk about building a culture. That's Absolutely. that's amazing. So. I mean, look, to play where Jordan played is one thing. To experience a Final Four Division One basketball game. To play against legends like Pat Summit from Tennessee. To play against the legend Gino from UConn, whom you would face and beat. Absolutely. Well, tell us about that. What was that? These are legends in basketball. You know, so I, I have to backtrack. A senior in high school, I'm playing in the state championship, and it was record-breaking historic for my high school uh, before my dad and I transferred to the high school I graduated from, they were 2-21. and 21. They lost 21 games the year before, and I left a state championship contending team to, to go to the 2-21 and 21 team. But we felt that that's what we needed to do. They had never won a sectional, never won a regional, certainly never went to the states. But by the time I was a senior, we won a sectional, a regional, and we're playing for a state championship against... Two girls, the state of West Virginia had insane talent for female basketball during the years of 99 to 2002. And I'm playing against Alexis Hornbuckle and Renee Montgomery, who both went to Tennessee and UConn, respectively. How about that? So that's where this Tennessee, UConn, North Carolina thing started. And Tennessee and UConn, out of the 62 Division I schools that offered me, they weren't there. Ooh. They weren't in. They weren't. So I had Ooh. a. I had a personal, because yeah. those were my dream schools, right? Every little girl that grew up in in my age group, 
you were watching Pat Summit's VHS of the Cinderella season right. with uh, Jolly and all the girls. I mean, you know, so the fact that I didn't get a full offer from either of those schools really bothered me. Oh, yeah. So to answer your question. Some redemption. I finally get to see them. And we are the number one, number one seed that year at North Carolina. I was a starter. And we're opening up the Elite Eight at Cleveland Cavs Arena. And I get the ball passed to me. And I'm right in front of Pat Summit from me to you. And I drain a three right in front of her. Did you look at her first? Unf- <laughs> you know what? I looked like Donkey Kong because someone <laughs> caught the picture. And I was just like air punching and like high stepping down because that in that moment, Every wrong was now right. That's right. You had your chance. <laughs> and it was redemption. And earlier in that season, we got to go to Stores, Connecticut, and we got to tour ESPN, and we got to play Gino on Gino's floor. And we got to beat Gino by, I believe, Not many people can say that. 20 plus points. And I love Gino. I think to this day, my grandmother loves Gino more than she loves me. <laughs> um, but. Those were two coaches that I, I had the had and have the utmost respect for. Great and people. to be able to play on a team in the same gym with him and to get the W is even more humbling. There is no doubt. <laughs> dumping coals. Dumping coals. <laughs> so uh over sixty division one offers. Audience, just think about that. Think about what that actually means. Um you know, when you hear things like that, and listen, Jessica is about as humble as you're going to find on the planet, but I think the reason we have her on today, you know, the title is The Pursuit of Success, and I, let that be a fresh reminder that, you know, success at, at any level isn't easy, but at elite levels, it's going to require a little bit more. I say it, I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face, and now is an appropriate time to say it again. If you want things you've never had, you have to do things that you've never done. And to get six over 60 Division One offers, uh, that's not just natural ability. That's not just getting lucky. That's not just networking and knowing somebody. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into, uh, into some of Jessica's pursuit of that success. And one of the questions that I had for you, Jessica, was I wanted to talk a little bit about self-confidence. You know, I feel uh, in in my in my leadership, in being around successful people, being around successful athletes, self confidence self confidence is one of the qualities that I consistently see around people that win mm-hmm. in life, in business, uh, you name it. When did you realize that you had something special, and how did you go about building your confidence to perform on the biggest stages that we just talked about? I realized that. There was something different about me from a very, very young age. Uh, I remember being a little girl in church, actually, and everything the preacher would say, the way that he or she would do it, I would come home and I would stand on my porch and I would repeat the sermon to all of my neighbors. Even to this day, some of my neighbors who are no longer my neighbors still talk about that. And really from a young age, I was in touch with my first love, which is Jesus. Yeah. And that did something to me. Hmm. And so anything I would set my hand to, not only did, did he bless it, but I could tell when it was connected to my purpose yeah. and when it wasn't. And 
how much effort I should really put into it, how much mental real estate I should give something. Now, I didn't have those exact thoughts as a fourth grader. Sure. But there was just something different about what I was drawn to. Hmm. And it reminds me of even the first thing that the father said to Jesus whenever he allowed John the Baptist to baptize him. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that moment, you have your identity. When you give your life to the Lord, that's where your confidence comes from. Yeah. And I think one of the major things that, that, that the enemy tries to steal from people is their self-confidence. Sure. Knowing that if that goes, there's no way that they'll navigate to their purpose. Yeah. Because you have to know that you belong to something greater than self to even identify the confidence that's truly within you because of the treasure that's in yeah. your vessel. Yeah. So for me... It was it was very early on, probably around fourth grade, when I started to really fall in love with the game of, of basketball, mm-hmm. that I felt like this is something connected to my purpose because I remember being in the gym, and I put quotation marks around the word gym, because in Barrickville Elementary and Middle School, our gym used to be a swimming pool. Hmm. It was not very big at all. In fact, if you put too much of an arc on your on your three-point shot, it would literally hit the ceiling. <laughs> so any kid that came out of Barrickville... Home field advantage. <laughs> yeah. You knew that if they had a shot that was the, that was kind of straight on and didn't have a whole lot of arch to it, you must have played in Barrickville's gym. <laughs> but I remember being in the gym all by myself, and my grandfather would come to the gym with me because I asked him to for hours as a, as a child, as young as fourth fourth grade. And he would rebound for me and I would count down and I would see myself making the game winning shot. I mean, I saw it. Mm-hmm. I just envisioned it. And I wouldn't leave that gym until I did multiple game winners. In my mind, I was the NBA champion every mm-hmm. night before I went to bed Yeah, because it was in that moment that I realized there's something different about me because I'm the only one in the gym. That's right. There's there's nobody else here. And mm. why do I care so much about this? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to be so good? Why do, why do I, first of all, why do I feel like I should have the ball at the last second? Where'd that confidence come from? Right. A lot of people are like, I don't, I don't want the ball. Right. I don't want the ball. You know, I'll do whatever. I'll set a screen for you. I'll get the rebound if you miss it. I'll make a hustle play. But I don't want the ball. But I wanted the ball. Yeah. Because I, I, I almost wanted the pressure. Yeah. Because a piece of coal, as you know, mm-hmm. needs a little bit of pressure, and it's all of a sudden something beautiful, a diamond. So true. So true. So it was very early on that I noticed that the Lord had connected me to the game of basketball. Hmm. Very early on that I realized that this was something that was definitely going to carry me into, it was going to be a vehicle that the Lord yeah. used to navigate my destiny. Yeah, that's that's amazing. You know, I think self confidence when you when you talk about people that want the ball, there there are those people on teams, uh, and you think about the game winning shots and so on and so forth. And yeah, I read a statistic actually that, uh, and I could be butchering this. I'm going, I'm paraphrasing, uh, but Kobe Bryant has the most missed shot percentage uh, in the NBA. Really? But he he goes on to I think he finished number three. Uh, all-time leading scores and countless game-winning shots. The thing was is that he was willing to take the shots. 
Right. Um, and I think people that, you know, put the work in when nobody else is looking, people that put the effort in, it builds confidence mm-hmm. because then you're saying, look, I've put the time in when, the, when everybody else was, wanted to break or everybody else wanted to relax. I, I want the shot because I'm the most capable of getting it done. And I think it's like that in leadership as well. I mean, leadership uh, is learned. Right. Uh, I'm a living example of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, success can be learned, mm-hmm. absolutely. But putting work in will build your confidence to say, you know what, I am supposed to take the shot. I am supposed to be the one leading this team. Absolutely. I am the one that is supposed to get the promotion because I'm the one putting the work in to do it, right? Right. It's so it's so funny that you, that you mentioned that again, the last second correlation, because so... I'm a senior in high school, and we're losing in the semifinals, the state semifinals, by 16 points in the third quarter. Now, everyone knows that any girls' high school basketball team that is down 16 points in the third quarter probably is not going to come back from that. (laughs) But they underestimated the praying mamas that we had in the stands, mine particularly being the most radical. Thanks, mom, <laughs> if you ever <laughs> listen to this. But they prayed. They literally prayed. And we are nearing, I don't know if it was the end of the, it was the end of regulation, I believe. And I'm telling you, I was not far from half court. It was a deep, deep three-pointer. And the same knowing and self-confidence that I felt like it was a flame that just came in my spirit as a fourth grader. It came back in that moment and I could have been at the other end of the court, but I needed the ball and I screamed at my teammate, give me the ball now. I mean, now she throws the ball to me and I shoot this shot. I knew it was going in. You couldn't have told, I could, didn't matter where I was. It was going in so much so that on the film, you hear my mother yell, no, kind of like, what are you doing? That's the worst decision you could make right now. Swish. Hmm. Fast forward, we get down. It may have been overtime or at some point that was very close to the end of the game. But then right at the at the nick of time, I have the ball again. And one referee calls a foul and the other one says I walked. Hmm. So thank God the one that called the foul on the other team won the battle there of the refs. But the key was we were down by two points. I needed to make both of these foul shots. There was like one second left on the clock. I mean, barely enough time for the other team to inbound the ball and get it. If I make both of these shots, essentially we're going to win. Yeah. And also because of, of the, the work, when your natural meets his supernatural favor, you have those moments and you just know the shot is going in. You embrace the pressure because the pressure is is really your friend. Mm -hmm. It's like, show up, giant, because you're just bred for me. You're going to fall because in the gym all by myself, doing those countdowns, three, two, one, you fell. And those principles of success and of truly patient endurance, I hope, I hope to write a book. I've started a draft, and I'm going to call it Patient Endurance. You should. Because that is, to me, where self-confidence truly comes from because of your work ethic and your pursuit. Yeah, that's a good segue into another question I had for you is, is dreaming. 
you know, I, we've, but we've all been around people that dream big. Mm-hmm. And I find that people don't have trouble dreaming, but they lack the effort that it takes to follow through mm-hmm. and accomplish the dream. Give, give our listeners a glimpse of the work that you put in to accomplish those goals. We heard about, you know, the ceiling at the gym, uh, and that was one phase of your life. But there were things that you had to do to set yourself apart from the rest. You know, it's one thing to be uh, a starter on a high school team. It's another thing to be the state player of the year. But then you go D1, um, and you run the risk of blending in. And that's maybe even when the real work begins. Like. Mm-hmm. You had this dream of doing something big, uh, but you could. There was never a time, I'm sure, that you could rest. Tell our listeners uh, maybe about the beginning stages of that dream, what that vision looked like, and what effort that you had to put in to get there. I think one of one of the main keys is understanding very early to separate distractions, because whenever you set your mind to something especially if you have a dream and it's birthed from God and you just have this knowing no matter how young or old that you are, you have to really develop this practice of removing distractions and knowing their place when they come Hmm. and being able to completely keep your eyes on what it is that you're focused on accomplishing as early as this morning. I have I have a goal that I'm I'm looking to accomplish with with furthering my education. And I got up at 5:30 to study because I knew I had some stuff that I, that was going on this evening and I thought, well, I better get I better hit the books this morning. So I get up at 5:30, study until about 8:30. And sure enough, some things come in on my phone, stuff with work's going on, and it's not favorable. And it's, it's really annoying. It's just kind of like you're, you're focused on something and here comes a, a house fly that just you, and, and I was talking to one of my mentors about it today and she said, Jessica, in two days, you're going to be taking one of the biggest tests of your life. Your life is taking a completely different path and you know that God opened the door. You have got to make sure that you're not focusing on distractions. You have to put them in their place and you have to stay completely focused on what it is that God is calling you to do. And really throughout life, through basketball, through school, it's always been about keeping the main thing the main thing. Mm. I didn't go to prom. I never went to one prom. I'm not saying that, that people shouldn't enjoy things. Tell them, Jessica. But I Just did give not, it to them. Give it to I them. I did not. Funny story. The one prom that I was going to go to, my pastor's son and I were very good friends. And when, neither one of us were, We obviously, we weren't party people. We, we didn't really do the dance thing or anything. But one day he said, you know, if I go to prom this year as a senior, I think I'd like to go with you. And I was like, me too. And I'm thinking, are you even allowed to go? <laughs> but I said, yeah. But it turned out he wasn't allowed to go, but we had a great time. <laughs> we ended up going to Pittsburgh and having a blast. And it was it was a lot more fun than even prom. But I remember that I played basketball during prom season. I played basketball every season, even after regular season was, season was over. I was still playing basketball. And that kept me focused because in that season of my life, from the time that I was in fourth grade until I was 21 years old, 22 years old, I played basketball. 
And that was what God had me focused on Mm. because what it taught me was discipline. It taught me how to handle multiple things at once. It, it kept me on self-confidence. It, it kept me dialed into my purpose because I didn't identify as a basketball player. I identified as a Christian who played basketball. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing that the Lord will use the vehicle within your purpose to even keep you hmm. on track. You know, write that book, yeah. do that podcast, yeah. work that job. And if you do things as if you're working for the Lord, it might as well have been the Lord with the whistle around his neck. Yeah blowing it Hmm. and it's it's the little things that make up the big things and it's committing to you know what you're 45 seconds late so tomorrow morning at 7 a.m you have 700 up downs and that really happened to me and i learned in the in in those strategic moments that every little thing matters that you you work with excellence i think a lot of people in our generation lack the understanding of what it means to truly work with excellence. Yeah. And you put your, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. And these are decisions. Sure. Decisions to to wipe away the distractions and to whatever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it with all my might Mm -hmm. are two things that for me helped with sustaining an attitude of success. Yeah. You know, that there's so much to be said about that. I often tell people, and obviously you live this, sometimes it's not what you say yes to, but it's what you say no to. Absolutely. And is uh, you let, let your no be the loudest, uh, mm-hmm. because I think it's important that everybody knows that it's your dream. Uh, you can even have people that care about you and have the best intentions for you pull you away from what you're called to do right? and what you're built to do and what your dream is. And so as somebody that knows what your dream is and what you're chasing, uh, you got to know what to say no to, and you've got to uh, eliminate those distractions. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people all the time that the one thing we all have, everybody on this planet gets 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And what separates the good from the great is how you spend those minutes. That's good. And somebody that's willing to say no when the rest of the world is saying yes, whether it's going to a prom or going out to eat or, you know sleeping a little longer or eating a little more or Mm -hmm. eating unhealthy or whatever it might be, those things are appealing. But I can tell you this, so is accomplishing your dreams. And uh, there's a price tag that's associated with success. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are hearing it from somebody that has proven this theory, uh, and that's fantastic to hear. So I have this thing that I call the cream of the crap syndrome. (laughs) And this is where we see people that are, they're just kind of happy being better than the crowd. Uh, They're happy just being better than their circle of influence. They're satisfied with being better than average. (laughs) And you're clearly one of the best players. If not, you were most likely the best player growing up uh, in high school and so forth. If you would have settled with being better than everyone else, it's likely that you maybe would have never played in a Final Four game. Uh, How did you push yourself to become better than the environment that you were in? Because if you would have just been happy being better than the rest of the team, and I'm sure you had great teammates, uh, but I would also imagine that they all didn't go D1. Uh, So how did you keep that uh, mindset of I'm going beyond this and I've got to keep grinding to get to where I want to go and not be happy where I am with the surroundings? 
There's a quote from Anson Dorrance, the very decorated women's soccer coach at the University of North Carolina, who may have more national championships than any NCAA coach. And he put it so succinct. When I got to Carolina, I thought, this is what I've been saying my whole life, just in a lot more words. He said, if you lick the lollipop of mediocrity, you suck forever. Ooh, I like that. (laughs) And when I got my first coaching job at the University of California out in Orange County, I put that on the wall. And I loved it because I had to describe it to everyone that came into my office. And really, you have to allow yourself to be your biggest competition because it all starts in your mind. That's good. If you think that you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yes. If you think you're the best person on the court, you're on the wrong court. Yeah. So what I would do is through the pushing of my father, I would play outside of myself. I remember being in seventh grade and he took me to a high school to play with girls that were in high school. And I played terrible. It was it was awful. That was actually a season in my life when I really lacked a lot of self-confidence. So much so that I wanted to quit basketball. I didn't want to play. I was extremely nervous. Even driving up to a gym, I would feel very, very nervous, full of anxiety. Didn't feel like I, I could measure up. But my dad kept pushing me. And, and he kept telling me what he saw in me. And that he felt like you can do this you've got something special, not just because you're my kid, but I see something in you. He wasn't always, wasn't always that warm and fuzzy about it, but I knew what he meant. Mm -hmm. And he really pushed me to constantly challenge myself and go to places where the competition was going to be crazy. And I would look at girls that were going mid-major D1, um, uh, you know, Cal PA or University of California at Irvine. And I would think, wow, They got a scholarship there. The key is setting goals is great. Dreaming big is great. It's essential. But for me, I never got up every day saying, I want to hold my school's scoring record. I never said, I want to crush the rebounding record. By the way, if anyone that is attending North Marion High School is listening to this, somebody please break those records. I mean, that picture of me with the bangs has got to go. You know, it's got to go. Records were made to be broken, people. Like, let's get on it. Shoot the shot. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take, y'all. Get on it. Amen. Hashtag end rant. There you go. So, Let's talk about your dad. Um you know, mentoring is such a big part of success yes. and being around the right leaders is is crucial to success. And I have found that the best leaders that I've had are people that were tough on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were people that pushed me, people that challenged me. Now, I also had a dad that was my baseball coach and uh, that had its pros and cons and probably more cons than pros because we had to take everything home with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can imagine probably around the dinner table there was some uh, emotional and uh, animated discussion maybe at the cell house. But talk a little bit about some leaders in your life, including your dad, that um, help make you better. What are those attributes that you've seen in great leadership. I mean, this is primarily a leadership podcast. Um, so maybe, you know, coming from somebody that's been under great leadership, mm-hmm. what would you tell the leaders listening today are things of, of attributes of the leaders you've been around that pushed you and made you better? 
Servant leadership and being selfless is so integral when it comes to leadership. You really have to care about people because when you're a good leader, you're giving of yourself. A piece of yourself is going into the person or the people group that you're trying to lead. And I've always said that the mark of any good leader is how many times can you duplicate yourself? For my master's thesis, I had to develop what I called sales cycle of success. <laughs> and it was funny to coin something after myself when I'm not even published and who wants to read anything that I do. But basically, I always say that I have I have to have three three types of people in my life. I have to have a mentor who's been there, done that, someone who's paved the way, someone who has a history of success. I have to have somebody on my level because iron sharpens iron and there's accountability there. And then you have to have someone that you're pouring into, that you are mentoring, that that comes to you for the advice that you go to others for. Mm -hmm. And as long as that cycle is in constant motion, you're moving. Yeah. And where there's movement, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because the Lord can work with that. And as you're doing your part, he's doing what you and no other person could ever do. And the Lord's been so kind to me because in every season of my life, there has been a person that he has strategically placed there to be that for me, to keep that wheel turning. Someone that has used their influence, their affluence to open doors for me. Someone that has been used to just share a word of encouragement. And he's used them to speak to my destiny. Mm. And your family is always your family. You know, good, the bad, the ugly. They're there day in, day out, at your worst, at your best. But it's always been the Lord who keeps all of that in perfect working order. Mm. And I'm so thankful because as you keep your relationship with the Lord Jesus where it belongs, all the other relationships, all the encouragement that you need, everything you need to be victorious every moment of every day is in you. And he will place those right people and those right voices along along that path. Hmm. And that, the leadership of the Lord, Bible, biblical leadership pastoral leadership. I have I have some of the, the greatest pastors in the world that have been there through every stage of my life. And I continue to come up under amazing leadership biblically. And then what's happening spiritually always manifests in the natural because then the Lord will just pluck different people in leadership at different times to use what they've already done to encourage and bless me. So having the right people every single day, almost without fail. One of my prayer points is I say, Lord, bring me the right people at the right places at the right times. Cause the right people to have the right conversations about me. Bring heaven to this earth today. And without fail, he does. And when those people come, we don't, you know, they don't even know that they're sent by God, many of them. Yeah. You you think about... um you know, how leadership can mold and shape people, literally. Uh, you know, I think of my my own life, my progression through corporate America. Mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I had lunch today with uh, one of my first sales managers, and we were just talking about, gosh, can you remember back? And I, I looked him in the eye and I said, you know, I owe so much to what you did to pour into me. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about it, whether it was starting in fourth grade on the co-ed team to, I'm sure, many uh, tough conversations, animated co- conversations with your dad, and then get to go to UNC and now to pay it forward. You know, I think there is absolutely something to be said about getting around the right people. It's great feedback, Jessica. You know, I, I, something else I want to I wanna hear from you that I think our listeners could get a lot out of. You know, I often tell people failure is a bruise. It's not a tattoo. Mm -hmm. I think so many times setbacks and failures keep people from where they're supposed to go, keep people on track. They they feel like that's the end point. Tell us about a time maybe when you failed at something. Maybe you had a setback, but it led to a greater breakthrough because of pushing through the resistance. Absolutely. So a few moments ago, I said that I never woke up every morning saying, I want to have the scoring records at my school, or I want to be the first to get a state championship. In my heart, I I wanted to be the best, and I wanted to win a championship. I wanted to shoot that last second shot. But what I did every day was you just get up and you do. And so by the time I was a senior, you've already went through all of those accolades. And I was, you know, quote unquote, the big man on campus. So I get to UNC And all of a sudden, everybody was the big man on campus, as you referenced. And I went through a a beginning of my freshman year, and I was playing, things were going well, and then all of a sudden, we got to ACC conference play, and I just stopped playing. We go to Hawaii, and I don't really get a whole lot of minutes, and I cannot wrap my mind around why. And I allowed that to really mess with my self-confidence. I started to identify my worth as a basketball player based on how much playing time I wasn't getting. And instead of focusing on how to get out there and make the next best decision, no matter what happens, make the next best play. Have in your mind what's the best thing I can do right now. I started to play from timidity and I started to do things to not mess up Mm. instead of to do the next best thing. My mindset needed to shift because if you go out there and your goal is to not mess up, that's rooted in fear and anything rooted in fear is going to bring total destruction. You're never going to accomplish anything and you're just going to like dominoes, one bad decision, one mistake is going to lead to another, to another. And then you just start to dwindle in terms of your self-confidence. So that takes me into the end of that season and I get diagnosed with mono at the time and I couldn't go to my first NCAA uh, championship out in Boulder, Colorado. So after the ACC tournament that year, I had to go home for two weeks. I lost about 12 to 15 pounds in two weeks, Um, was extremely, extremely sick. So I come into the next season And my coaches gave me some things that I needed to work on, put in the work, stayed both summer sessions and and trained. My vertical increased uh, about six inches in one summer session. Um, At one time we had the athletic trainer or the strength and conditioning trainer um, that left UNC to go to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that's the quality of the people that we had training us and our physicality was developed through. But, you know, again, I was surrounded by a lot of really good players. So the next year, I played less. And 
I really couldn't figure it out. I, you know, and so then what happens if you don't check this appointment, then it leads to bitterness. And if you get a root of bitterness in you, then the enemy will have a field day with your mind, with your self-confidence, with your mentors, everything good that you and I have already talked about. If you let bitterness creep in to your purpose, it will wreak havoc Mm. on your life. And then everything that God was turning around good, the enemy can backtrack and, and bring destruction. So what I really had to do is I had to, I had to do a heart check. I had, I realized that I had, I had stepped away from the Lord. I wasn't going to church. I wasn't doing all of those things that I used to do in terms of keeping God number one, keeping my identity in Christ and allowing my work ethic to be motivated because of my relationship with him. Mm -hmm. So going in my junior and senior year, what I did is I rededicated my life to the Lord. I went to a conference one spring. Our team was, was very much a team that advocated for Christianity. We had Bible study. We had a girl that came in that, that did special devotions just with our team. We would pray before every game. Our coach would lead that. And I rededicated my life to the Lord. And I said, this is not going how I ever dreamed that it would go. I never thought I would get to college and essentially not play. I never dreamed that this is how my college career would go. I thought I would play. And you were a superstar. Right. So I said, Lord, if I have to sit this bench, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader. I'm going to act the fool. And I'm going to play hard. I'm going to practice harder. And I'm just going to keep a good attitude. Because there, my freshman and sophomore year, every time the coach looked down the bench, I looked like Eeyore or, you know, Pigpen from Charlie Brown that yeah. always had the cloud around him Yeah, because I wasn't getting treated right. I didn't feel. And so everyone was going to know it because I'm Jessica Sell, the player of the year. Obviously, they didn't hear. Obviously. They didn't get the they, memo. They did not get the memo. <laughs> so I had a few opportunities to transfer and I don't dwell on those now. I used to. Because I often wonder if I were to transfer, would my playing career have been different? Maybe. But that's neither here nor there. Because the Lord has me right here, right now, talking about this because I never did leave. Right. And, and, that, and all is well. The Bible says, say to the righteous, all will be well. So I'm thankful for that. But in shifting my attitude, something changed. In my junior year, I still didn't play that much. We went to an Elite Eight. And it was a fun year. But again, I thought, hey, you know what? My life is back on track with the Lord. I'm getting a great education. And it is what it is. I'm not really a fan of that phrase because I feel like you can change what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was just at a place where I was still I was still developing my mindset and I was getting my self-confidence back. I was getting to the place where that bitterness was turning to sweetness. And I was starting to, to, to love the game again. Because I didn't like it there for a while. The thing that I I, I really cared about um, essentially hurt me. And so I felt like, you know, I've, I've put my life into this and now I don't even get to play. But going into my senior year, I had to have ankle surgery. Hmm. Just woke up one morning and couldn't really move move my ankle. And I was swollen and going into my senior year. So had surgery. 
And they actually wanted to medical redshirt me because you know, I just I did I don't receive I didn't receive the diagnosis and I won't even go into what they what they said but I just didn't receive it and I said no I'm going to play I'm going to play I'm fine you know this is not going to affect me now or ever and uh, sure enough the perseverance and the patient endurance my coach told me that I earned a spot to start every game as a senior. Wow. And I got to start every game that I played in. There was one game, there was some inner ear thing that was going on. There was one game I didn't, I just didn't suit up for. But I started every game as a senior and got to give us our last lead in the final four, hit two three-pointers that gave us our last lead. And after that, my coach asked me, what did I want to do as a job? And I said, I didn't really know, but something with athletics, because that's all I know at this point. I was getting a communications degree, ethical philosophy degree. Um, and she said, well, we're going to hire an assistant director of recruiting, an assistant to the director of recruiting, and we'd like to hire you. And I said, okay. Wow. Wow. And it was all because... Somebody was watching me. That's right. When I didn't really realize it, when I felt like life was unfair, when I felt like the very person that was getting ready to offer me my first job. That's a whole different was level. Was the one doing it yeah. to me. Really, yeah. it was just leadership that yeah. I needed to respect and I just needed to worry about my attitude and once that shifted, everything took an upward trajectory. So, fast forward to the end of that final four. And I'm working at UNC for a little while. Well, the team that won that year was the University of Maryland. And their coach, which is still their coach, Brenda Freeze, was the national player, uh, coach of the year. And she comes to me and she says, I don't know what you want to do with your life, but I've watched you for four years. And I know how this works. And I respect you for handling it the way that you did. People are watching. And she's never, we've never elaborated on what that meant. I know what that means. Sure. The Lord knows what that means. She obviously knew in part she what saw that it. meant. So she was the first call when I decided I wanted to coach mid-major D1. I went out to California to coach for the Anteaters, which, by the way, they had a major March Madness upset with Kansas State this I year. I did see that. Yeah, so rip a meters, zot, yes. zot, zot. <laughs> um, but I went out there to coach, and Brenda was the first call. Huh. My coach at Carolina was a second call. The coach at UC Irvine <laughs> calls me after that and she says, who are you? Because I just had the national coach of the year and Sylvia Hatch will call me and say, if I don't hire you, it'd be a mistake. So, and, and I could go That's on awesome. and on throughout my whole career, even as of late, what the Lord will do when you change your attitude and you know how to drown out distractions and you, you stay fit and focused, you stay ready for the opportunity when it, when it presents itself. And really, leadership, before you can lead any person, you have to self-lead. I couldn't agree more. You have to know how to push and motivate yourself that you look in the mirror every day and you're like, I'm going to beat you today. Yeah. I'm, mind, I'm taking yeah. every thought captive. You have to. And... You know, I'm going to win today. You said a few things in this, you know, when we talk about failure and setbacks that I think speak volumes. 
one thing you talked about was character through setbacks and through some of those valleys that we're all inevitably, you know, you face those, right? You know, when you, you think about those things, performance is what you do. Character is who you are. Because it's not always going to be a bed of roses. It's not always going to work out, you know, splendidly like you thought. But you have to know this, that sometimes true leadership rises in the face of adversity. True character rises in the face of adversity. And although you don't feel like it, people are watching what you do. And it's going to have an impact in the now and the things to come. The other thing that you said was, and man, this is so good because I've said this to people there's a difference between playing not to mess up or playing to win. Mm-hmm. I love that. So many times I think people play it safe. Mm-hmm. They would rather not take a chance and not look crazy or dumb <laughs> or embarrass themselves or whatever than to just take a chance on winning. So true. And it's because maybe they did touch the stove and they're like, oh, man, that embarrassment or that rejection or whatever, I don't want to face that again. So they just stop trying and they just play it safe. Mm -hmm. If you're going to win at the highest levels, you cannot have that mindset. You have to keep pushing through the resistance. The the other thing you said in all that was control your attitude. You know, folks, here's what you have to know about anybody I've been around that's been successful is this. You can't always control your environment. You can't always control uh, adversity that comes or setbacks that come. But the one thing that requires zero skill is attitude. You it it you don't need a skill. That is not a skill. That's something that you decide to do. In life, I feel like you're either going to be a thermometer or a thermostat. There it right? is. There it is. And when you're a thermometer, you're going to tell people the temperature of the room. Mm-hmm. But a thermostat changes it. Attitude attitudes and the right attitudes change environments for yourself and the people around you. Absolutely. And t- take it from somebody that went from not being the best player in the state, to not getting minutes, to starting nearly every single game her senior year and going to a Final Four. That is overcoming something and winning at a big level. Take her advice. So, Jessica, I always end the show by saying, remember this, you've been set up to be a champion in this life. What's that mean to you? If not you, who? If not here, where? And if not now, when? You've got today. Instead of saying one day, make today day one and start and have patient endurance and finish it Yeah, and be a champion. Yeah. Whatever your hand finds to do, dig in, find your purpose. What do you care about? What makes you cry? What makes you the happiest? What makes you angry? Get into the person who created you and figure out what he has you here for and seize it. Conquer it. Go after it. Man, what a lot of great content, a lot of good information. So off topic a little bit, uh, I'm sure the listeners are dying to know maybe some, maybe it's just me and I just want to know. I'm single. But I'm ready for uh, the godly <laughs> Jessica man. is single. We'll give you her Instagram <laughs> handle J-Cell right two, here. Three. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. We're promoting here, right? Wyland. So, um... If you had your one shining moment, four years, Chapel Hill, what's that moment that you're like, that was awesome? You know, it's captured in a picture, and I'm holding Coach Hatchell's gold scissors, and I'm cutting down the nets. Man, who gets to do that? 
after we beat Tennessee and we're headed to the final four and I know that I'm getting a final four ring with a diamond in it. And as soon as I cut down my piece of the net, I'm going to cry because (laughs) I got to, I saw my family in the crowd and my papa bought this van. He's in heaven now. And I got to lead him to the Lord right before he died. He bought this van. So the whole family could travel to watch me play all at once. Six of them could, could fit into the van and, and go. And they drove all the way to Cleveland, to Boston, to watch me play. And in that moment, when I cut that net down and I knew we were going to the final four and it was going to be my last, what I hoped was two games. It was one, but it was, it was good. I, I looked in the crowd and it came full circle for me to locate my family while I'm holding those gold scissors. And uh, to me, that was everything mm. because they, they risked everything to make sure that I could accomplish everything. What a sense of gratitude. You know, let that be a lesson to all of us, quite frankly. Leaders listening, people looking <clears throat> to get better. It's your duty and obligation to perform at a high level because uh, it's not just about you. It's about those around you, especially in leadership, whenever you have the opportunity to shape and mold lives and make people better. But, you know, there's people that have, have made sacrifices, and uh, we, we owe it back uh, to fight and to win mm-hmm. and to represent ourselves well because of the people around us. Jessica, thank you so much for being with thank us you. today. Uh, no greater time than right at the height of March Madness. You Your story is nothing less than amazing. And uh, it's, it's inspired and challenged me and our listeners. You know, a woman of faith, a woman of pursuit of excellence, uh, a woman that has a- accomplished what most people would only dream about and have taken that beyond the hardwood and into uh, every area of your life. These are recipes and formulas for winning. And uh, I really enjoyed the time. Everyone, listen, if you found value in today's message, it would mean a great deal to me if you would subscribe to the podcast, rate, review it. Make sure you go to the website, championform.com. On there, you'll find some show notes from today's episode that you can share with your team, uh, that you can go back and review with some Q&A. Also, you can follow me on social media at the Champion Forum, where I post leadership, personal growth, inspirational messages on a daily basis that will challenge and motivate you. And if you'd like to contact me, you have any questions or feedback, I can always be reached at jeffhancher at thechampionforum.com. And remember this, you've been set up to be a champion in this life. The Champion Forum Podcast with Jeff Hancher. Lead. Inspire. Win. Win.